the Sports Coaching Podcast with Sam Holmshaw. Welcome to a very special collaboration episode of the Sports Coaching Podcast. Absolutely delighted to be joined by Friday Night Counter-Attack super host. Hamza, how are we doing, son? How are you calling me a super host? You're flattering me straight away. Oh, no, I did not expect that for everyone listening. That was crazy. Um, but no, thank you very much for having me. Uh, I'm looking forward to this collaboration episode and hopefully we can make it like a mini-series, something to look back on in, in like the summer or the winter as well. And um, yeah, for a lot of people who listen to our podcast, they don't actually know that I'm actually a football coach and a football scout as well. So I'm looking forward to this. And I'm looking forward to learning um, a lot from yourself and from this podcast, Sam. So let's go for it. To be fair, I don't know why you're, uh, you're diminishing yourself there, Super You called me an elite host. Yeah, but you I'm are. I'm nowhere near the elite level of hosting, let me tell you. But if I'm elite, you're definitely Super Let me uh, Let me tell you. But no, great to have you. Um, there's any followers of myself will know I've been on Hamza's podcast uh, two times or three times uh, a little later on this month. Um, so it was about time I uh, invited him onto the Sports Coaching Podcast. We thought we'd do a bit of a collaboration. Uh, like I say, Hamza, I didn't, to be fair, know when the first time I met you, you were coaching. I think you just got involved, didn't you? Yeah, I just got involved um, in... Um, I started my university course at UCFB in coaching. So I just started when we first had that conversation. And then the second time when we spoke, after a good six months or so, that was when I was kind of in my element of coaching. So got into the groove of it, um, learning the basics of it, which is great. And yeah, and then here we are now, third time. Fantastic. Well, yeah. as, the, uh, as the listeners have probably guessed, a little different introduction. Uh, I always like to mix up a little bit, Hamza, when we do these collaboration episodes, uh, ch- change it up nice and, uh, and differently. But Hamza, for my guests who aren't aware of yourself and your journey and, and what Friday Night Counter-Attack is all about, if you yeah. wouldn't mind just giving uh, an introduction to yourself, I guess, one, your journey of, of doing the podcast, Friday Night Counter-Attack. Two, your journey being a scout, what you're doing at your university. So there's an obviously where you are at your coaching career. That would be smashing. Yeah, absolutely. So I started Friday Night Counter-Attack with uh, me and my friends who I play football with um, on, a, on a Friday night in Birmingham. So um, we consider it a six-a-side podcast as well. So we always do our little six-a-sides of the week, which is very fun. We mostly talk about football and mental health. So we talk about men's mental health and we talk about mental health stigmas for um, people of ethnic minorities. So we always talk about the um, the things that no one really wants to talk about on a podcast. So we're quite happy with that. Uh, I've recently started another mini series with my friend uh, Millie Chandarana, who's currently playing for Blackburn Rovers. So we're starting a mental health and a mindset and development series as well. So that's gone quite well so far um, at the time of speaking. But realistically, it's a podcast where we invite uh, people who we want to learn from. We want to learn more about how they got to situation A from situation B, how they can develop themselves further and what they can really give our listeners a lot of information and guidance. And it's been great to talk to some commentators and coaches and scouts and um, people in the media as well, which has been fantastic for our podcast. And it's only starting and it's only kind of getting better and bigger, which is brilliant as well. Um, in terms of my scouting, I currently scout for Walsall Football Club. Uh, yeah, most of, my, most of my listeners don't even know that I do that. But yeah, I scout uh, every Sunday morning uh, in the Stoke-on-Trent, Staffordshire area, which is great. Looking in a very, very football-heavy area of the country, which is really big as well because of the situation that is in Stoke-on-Trent. You've got a lot of football clubs around. It's brilliant to learn more about it in the Staffordshire area as well, which is fantastic for me. Um, I really like working for Walsall Football Club. It's fantastic. It's a great environment to be in. And it's very fun to kind of be your own boss in that way as a, as a scout. 
And then in my coaching journey, I started at UCFB, uh, Manchester Etihad, which is what I've been since September. It's been brilliant so far. Been learning how to coach. But the main thing is in around a couple months after I started, I got my first coaching role at a local grassroots club that started only this year, actually. Only this year, last year, within the last 12 months. Um, and it's got like now 70, 80 kids, which is brilliant. We're doing really well in terms of developing kids to make sure they're having fun, they're having a break from their school life, from their um, family lives as well. And that's something that I've really enjoyed learning about so far, the actual getting your hands on um, in the coach and getting stuck in and learning on, on the job, really. So when a, when a kid's going on to you saying, oh, why are we having a break now? Why are we doing, why are we not having a break later? You're just there explaining it, but you're also learning about yourself as well, about how you're going through it. So that's kind of my journey so far in coaching, scouting and podcasting. Well, brilliant. Thanks so much for that introduction. I mean, we'll get on to the, the coaching journey in, uh, in a little while. And, uh, you know, obviously we're, we're going to be talking a little bit about that today, as uh, the listeners might have guessed in the episode title. But yeah. um, let me ask you about the podcast. Why did you decide to do this podcast? What made you um, feel comfortable about setting one up? And the reason I asked that, Hamza, is because uh, a lot of people have asked that to me over the time. Mm. They find it uh, quite funny that, you know, I, I guess I just kind of came out of nowhere and decided to set up the sports coaching podcast. And, uh, you know, to me, it was all about just trying to be uh, educational and uh, try and offer different views of coaching and, and hopefully, uh, you know, give some coaches something to think about that perhaps didn't come from uh, the academic university background like myself. Uh, but you mentioned mental health. I think it's uh, absolutely brilliant that you have that platform to talk about. That's such an important topic in, in football, but also just in life. But uh, I mean, what made you just decide to, to do the podcast really? And, and you know, how have you found uh, being a podcaster? It was literally... Again, to go a bit deep on here, Sam, it's just literally the fact that I was suffering through mental health and depression and anxiety at the time when we started to um, talk about doing a project like this because it was a bad financial situation for me during the pandemic. It was bad for the job that I was in at the time. My mental state wasn't where I was ever. I've never been in such a worse position in my life. And it was something that I needed an escape. I needed an anchor to hold me down and keep me going in the way when I'm just there kind of thinking like, oh, I hate the situation that we're in. There's nothing we can do to control it. When actually there was, and there actually were people that were there to help me get out of that rut and uh, to help me move forward as well. And that's when we started to talk about these challenging topics and these challenging conversations, because nowadays you're kind of thinking that everyone kind of talks about mental health comedy, which is brilliant. And I love to see that. It's fantastic. But kind of at that time as well, a lot of people weren't really focusing on their mental health and the pandemic because people were worried about staying alive and staying safe and staying away from everyone but not being social isn't really the best of outcomes and we've seen that in terms of how the gyms are working how people's shops are working people's businesses going out of business and everything so it was one of those things that I was like I need somewhere to kind of just rant I need somewhere to kind of talk I need somewhere to kind of just open up and be myself without any pre-judgments from anyone I didn't need people giving me sympathy even though I kind of wanted it at the time, but I just kind of had a bit more space for me to be me. And that's where Friday Night Counter-Attack started. Uh, five of my friends from my football um, that were playing on Birmingham Friday nights, Friday Night Counter-Attack started counter-attacking mental health. That's the main thing that we're doing. And that's something that I'm really proud of and what we've done so far and the feedback we've got so far from some people has just honestly, in a way, it's just changed my life. The fact that people actually reach out and say, I've actually listened to a couple of these episodes and I, and I really like what you're doing. I really like how you're going about things. And just like yourself, Sam, just came out of nowhere, decided to talk about something on a podcast. That's exactly just like with me in terms of 
oh yeah, I want to talk about something. I want to share it. I remember some of my friends, they were going on about friends. They're going on about how oh, no one wants to listen to your football opinions. No one cares about that. And I'm like, well, can't, they kind of do now in a way, which is quite good. I mean, I've done really well uh, on YouTube, done well on downloads, which is great. Streaming, fantastic. But it's one of those things that if I ended up listening to them people who were saying, oh yeah, don't, wanna, don't care about your thoughts and stuff like that, I don't know where I'd be. And this is something that now everyone, family, friends, they know I'll do because I'll shamelessly promote whatever I'm doing. If I'm doing something new on a series, I'll, I'll promote that. If I'm doing something new on YouTube, I'll be promoting that as well. And some people don't really like it, but I'm just there, like, that's just me now. That's how it is. And that's what I love. It's fantastic because I love doing it and I love meeting new people just like yourself, Sam. So that's how we kind of got into it. And that's how we've kept in it, which is brilliant for me. No, I've got to say, I really implore you for being so open there about your struggles. Listen, I mean, I've been through my fair share of, of mental health and it's uh, and depression and it, it, it's tough periods to go through. And uh, actually quite similar myself at the time when I set up the podcast, I'd uh, come back from uni, uh, sort of didn't really have a lot of mates come back to Sheffield to uh, find myself coaching every day and working every night and not really having a, a sort of social life. Uh, to go along with with my coaching, my sort of coaching career was taken off, but I wasn't really having, you know, any any sort of friendships or or social interaction. And uh, I found with the podcast myself, uh, it was fantastic to uh, go and just meet new people and and discuss, uh, you know, coaching with with coaches all across the world. Really, I mean, it still amazes me how you can just have a conversation on online and you know just uh you know someone you've never met before have a, have a good uh, a good hours podcast episode with but uh yeah listen i've got to say to my listeners it's a fantastic platform uh, I, I listen to it quite a bit i enjoy it. it does make me laugh quite a lot with some of this stuff to talk about and i've uh, i've been lucky to be on a couple of times it always puts a smile on my face hamza so uh, keep up the keep up the good work uh, good work with friday night counter attack but uh, yeah, I mean, moving on just just very briefly to uh, to coaching, I guess, just before we uh, or just while we finish this introduction. Um, so you spoke about UCFB. Did I get that right? Yeah. Say that in the right order. And, and I yeah. say that because I went I actually went for a, a, an open day. It would have been oh, six years ago now. Mm. Uh, I think it was the one at Burnley Football Club. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe the first one. Um, and I ended up going to uh, Leeds Beckett in the end. Uh, but. I mean, tell us a little bit, if you can, about UCFB. So we had uh, a chap called Carl Wilde on the podcast about Ooh, four seasons. Oh, you got Carl on the podcast. One of the lecturers, yeah, he's a top guy. I think he's now at Chester, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Oh, but, man. Uh, really, really, really top coach. Lucky to uh, lucky to have him on when we did. So, I mean, tell us about UCFB. I can see the shock in your face there, by the way. Oh, no. If you got Carl on the podcast and you're coming with one of his students, which is me, the listeners are going to be like, this guy has nothing to offer when you got Carl on previously. <laughs> Guy's got a wealth of experiences, no-nonsense coach, brilliant coach, learned a lot from him already, fantastic guy. Um, and he's just always pushing his students to do coaching and coaching and coaching. And he was the one that gave me the advice of going out, finding my, uh, finding my coaching role myself and finding uh, different ways and different tactics. So, um, yeah, Carl's a great coach and... I, because you mentioned though, I'm pretty sure we'll be listening back and be like, what's Hamza doing on the podcast? He should be doing his assignments or something. So yeah, that's kind of it. But no, all the lecturers at UCFB are great. They're like actually coaches. They're actually coaching like different football clubs, different age groups. They've got the experience and had the experience and it's really positive. And that's what really sold me on UCFB when I went for my open day as well, because I was going to go last year, um, but I didn't apply in time. So I was like, okay, it's okay. I'll go the year after. And 
it benefited me because now I live again, like I said, in Staffordshire, so it's easier to drive to and from, take the train to and from Manchester, which is great for me as well. Um, but realistically, the fact that you get to learn about a lot of these coaches, a lot of these lecturers about how they've gone about their business in in, day, in this day and age after being coaches from different generations is fascinating because some of them are professional footballers, some of them played against like the likes of Eusebio, the likes of Pele. Some of them playing for Manchester United under Franz Ferguson as well. It's incredible. And it's just one of those things that that's really what sold me the people that who are going to be teaching me how to become a coach when they've actually done the job, they've been there, they've done that and they're continuing to do it. That's what really I, I enjoyed about UCFB and I enjoy about it so far as well. And also the alumni as well, because a lot of the alumni, um, they're very open and they're very um, honest about the situation. I, I reached out to a couple of them on LinkedIn. A couple of them were at Walsall Football Club, which was great as well. And I spoke to a guy called Scott. Um, he's a Rangers fan, but he was at Walsall at the time. And now as a coach at Aston Villa. So it's fantastic to see how he's actually doing really well um, in, in his development as well. So the fact that you can actually see the progress route through some of these people who have had no experience in coaching whatsoever, like myself, going into this university, learning from these people, learning the curriculum. It makes complete sense for me who wants to get into that industry and who wants to continue developing in that industry to be at a university such as UCSB. So that's the positive um, aspects of UCSB, which, which I've really liked so far, which is brilliant. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for sharing your journey, Hamza. And I'm sure the uh, the listeners are very eager to know uh, to know what we're going to discuss today. So, the Sports Coaching Podcast with Sam Holmshaw. We decided that the topic, and I mean to be fair, we've not really quite decided on what the final topic title is, have we? Uh, no. Which is uh, normally something I normally do before the podcast, but uh, we decided today is going to be about what does coaching look like, or what do you feel coaching is when you are. Uh, coaching at your best. Now, this topic came from uh, me on the Masters last year. We were challenged on one of the uh, modules to uh, reflect about our coaching journey so far uh, and, and think about what did coaching at our best look like? So what did that you know, involve? What were the feelings about what we were doing? What was our level of experience or expertise? Uh, what was our knowledge? What was it about the uh, current moment, the current time that uh, was coaching at our best in, in that particular moment. So what we felt today, me and Hamza was, since Hamza's just starting out in coaching and um, I've had, uh, I guess, a little bit more experience 10 years down the line, um, we thought it would be quite an interesting and, and I suppose a bit of a unique and different episode um, to actually explore Hamza's career, coach was starting out, as he said, um, think about what his success looks like early in his coaching, what has he done that he feels is effective coaching and why. Uh, think about some of the, the challenges that Hamza has faced, uh, some of the difficulties, some of these sessions that perhaps haven't gone as well as Hamza would have liked or maybe are not as uh, successful as Hamza liked. And we thought it would be quite a nice idea to um, also almost pick that apart, Hamza, I think we said, didn't we? Uh, yeah. Explore that in a little bit more detail and perhaps come up with uh, an episode that uh, gives coaches just starting out some some advice, some general tips really of uh, how to go on, gain more experience and uh, ultimately become a, a good coach yourself. And uh, I mean, that really, re really sums up, I guess, what we're doing today. It's great for uh, my podcast because we get a lot of, uh, you know, coaches for the first time, novice coaches, beginner coaches, just starting out looking for advice. Uh, we also get more uh, experienced, even some expert coaches, you might say. So 
it's going to be a really uh, a really good uh, really good episode today i'm sure carl's enjoyed it. he's already had a couple of mentions hasn't he hamza but um I mean, be, I forgot who Hamza is by now as well. So like, there's loads of students. It's like he's just one of them. Just one yeah, of them. Yeah, I'm sure he hasn't. I'm sure he hasn't. Definitely um, not. So I mean, if we start Hamza, so you mentioned you were coaching at this grassroots club. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Started out. So I mean, tell us a little bit about your um, early coaching experiences. So I mean, what is I guess stepping into coaching been like? What did it feel like? What is your early coaching moments? You know, you know, what are they? What, what, what is the reality? I guess the question uh, is leading to. The reality is it feels a bit like childminding. I can't even lie. Like literally, it's, it's one of those things that um, we mentioned on our chat before we started. It's literally like the, the Jedi and uh, the Padawan, like the Master and the Apprentice, basically. And I know you won't appreciate me saying that, but that's literally kind of how it is with you and I at the moment. And I know you'll be a bit flattered by me calling you a master of coaching but it's kind of like that with me as a coach compared to some of these other um, coaches and most of the other kids as well because it's their first time actually playing football which is great because they don't know what football is it's a blank canvas for them and it's something that I've got to learn firsthand that they've never kicked a ball in their life before today some of them will just turn up for the first time ever because their friends are playing and you're just literally just there like what can you do to make this fun what can you do to make this kid's day and realistically, what can you make this do for the kid going forward? Can he make friends? Can he enjoy his time exercising? Can he enjoy his time um, just after having a long day at school, after being with his parents the whole time as well? That's how I see it. I don't want to sound like a cliche of like, it's all about the kids. But in a way, when it's grassroots football, it really is all about the kids, to be fair. I just need to turn up, plan my session, send in my session to my gaffer, which I do. I mean, on the days that I can't make it, and I'll just send it into him as well because I'm like, I can't make it. So at university, but um, just carry on with it, and it'll be fine. And I explain it in layman's terms for them, so they can just explain it or make it easier for the kids as well. And for me, who looks at like session planning for like university students during the week, but then when I'm also coaching for the kids as well, I just have to then look between the types of drills that I need to do, what I need to actually prepare for as well. So. That's something that I've really enjoyed, the difference in coaching, the difference in quality, the difference in um, literally just the drills as well. Like, I know for a fact I couldn't teach them, like, two-on-one defending for, like, six, seven-year-old kids because they, they wouldn't know what two versus one even is at the moment. No disrespect to them. They just want to come and have fun. So all I need to do is make one hour of fun for these kids, literally, just with a football, a couple of footballs. Like, one, one session at the end of it, I was a bit bored with how I led, how I had the session. So at the end of it, for the last five minutes, just play dodgeball at the end. I was like, literally, all you have to do, get the ball, throw it to me. If I control it, you win a point. If I don't control it, you win a point. So it's just literally one of those things. That it, like had like 10, 11 kids just throwing footballs at me as hard as I could. But in a way, it helped me control the ball and it just had, had let the kids have fun. And then the next session, what we did was we just learned about ball control again. So I was like, look how I did it last week. Remember when you thrown the ball at me? This is what you need to do now. I'm not going to throw the ball at you, but your friends are going to be throwing the ball, passing the ball to you. And it just links into what they were doing as well. So it's like real life experiences and just having fun. So actually just learning about the game a bit more like that as well. Mm. Interesting. So, I mean, I guess you shared with us a little bit about the context there. So tell us about the age of the kids you're working with. It sounds like this is a group that are uh, new to football. It, it sounds like um, the main element as 
sounds like a younger age group is is for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, what what what's the age? What's the general aim? What's the club about? I guess what's the club's philosophy? Uh, I mean, share if you could a little bit more about the context, if you can, Hamza. Yeah, absolutely. So the club's called Unity FC 2022. So they're based in uh, Stoke on Trent. They recently started as well, which is great. It's basically a club for all kids to come over, boys, girls, play football for an hour, hour, 10 minutes, whatever it is, get to make new friends. And we, some of the coaches, they want to start looking at developing it further, doing more Sunday league games, which they're doing at the moment, which is great, entering different leagues and stuff, which is fantastic as well. But the main thing is, it's literally a cliche, but it's all about them having fun, having somewhere to go for two evenings of the week and possibly a, a Saturday, Sunday game if they to get picked with the team as well. But for me, my little group that I coach is like the, I think it's like six to seven. So they're not even in a league or a team. So it's literally for like next year when they're in the squad. So I'm just there like, yeah, let's have fun. Let's play. Let's see how it goes. And realistically, it's one of those clubs that, again, they just want to start. They want to see how it goes. But because it's been so popular through word of mouth and through social media, it's gone from like 10 kids to 70, 80 kids to two coaches to six, seven coaches within a couple of months. And it's great. So if anyone's listening from the Stoke-on-Trent area and they want to get a coaching role, volunteer role, uh, one hour a week on a Monday or Friday, just find me. Or just go to Unity uh, Instagram page as well and you'll be able to find it as well because we, we could love the help. We'd love the experience and we'd love to learn a lot more from different coaches in and around the area. So that's a little plug there. They'll, they'll thank me later, Unity FC, so they'll thank me later. Fantastic. So, uh, I mean, yeah, really interesting to get a little bit more about the context there. So, uh, I mean, how long have you been there, Hamza? A couple of months, literally couple, when it, like a month or two after it started as well. So literally like yeah. three, four months. You've been there three, four months and that's the journey so far of your coaching career. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, I mean, for you, and this is going to be a really interesting question for me to, to hear your answer. So, um, I mean, what has been your, I, I guess, judgment of success or judgment of effective coaching within that context? So what is the aim of every session that Hamza does where Hamza comes away and thinks, well, I've, I've, I've done a really good session there. I'm really happy with that. Um, you know, how does that align to, I guess, the goals of what uh, the club's trying to achieve with, with these kids coming to the session? Um, so, you know, what is your, yes, I'm, I'm really happy with that. That's, that's a, a good, effective session for me today. Mine isn't, again, it's probably a cliche, but it's literally, I'll, I'll, I'll count the amount of thanks that a kid says to me after the, after the session's finished. So, I'll literally be like, if they all come up to me like they normally do, which is great. Thank you. Had a nice time. And the parents will come back to me and be like, well, well done. It was a good session. They enjoyed it. That's great. It's not about if a kid can kick a ball or if we can control a ball, if we can shoot properly or if we can dribble past someone because for goodness sake, they've got the rest of their lives to learn that. At this time, they're just making friends and they're going to speak to new people. And what I like to do is with my one is basically um how can i explain it it's basically when, whenever i'm speaking to someone i know their names but whenever i speak to someone i get them to say their name out loud so if it's a new person who's joined a group or if they're um they've been in the group for a while everyone knows who they're speaking to so they know their names it's about making sure that these kids they have some friends to speak to and they have a reason to look forward to coming to play games play uh, play with the coaches play with the kids play with new friends as well that's what is a tick in my box at the end of the day. I remember coming home from my ser- first session and a kid just said, thank you, in like the sweetest voice. And I'm just there like, oh, I did crap. 
I'm literally just there like, I thought I did crap because I'm just there like, got all of these plans, these tactical genius, Carlo Ancelotti type design in the drills. And these are, I'd never kicked a ball in their life. And I'm just there like, oh crap, how am I going to advertise it? So I just made it into games. I made it fun, made it enjoyable for them. And then they were just there like, oh yeah, thank you. Had a, had a good time. It was great. Um, all I needed to do was just make sure I continue to do that because that's my win at the end of the day. I couldn't care less if all of them couldn't play football for the rest of their lives. As long as the 11, 12 people playing, the kids playing, are having fun, they're enjoying it. And then they go into the summer thinking, oh yeah, I'd like to come back next year or even continue in the summer if we are going to continue in the summer. Then that's, that's a big win for me. That's what I, that's what I call success. Well, I've, I've got to say, I really like that answer. And what that tells me, and I almost feel like a market, I feel like I'm back at Leeds Beckett marking the second and third years like I used to do. But uh, what, what brings a smile to my face there is that you've clearly got an understanding of what this context of this club is. Okay, so you've got an understanding of what are these kids here for? You've got an understanding of their ability. You've got an understanding of their experience. And the fact that you're saying what leads to success is, the kid's going on with a smile on the face. The kid's enjoying the session. In my opinion, actually is an early form of, of good and effective coaching. Um, my first experience in coaching, my dad was a coach of a grassroots team. Um, I ended up being an assistant coach. Uh, I think I started actually as the goalkeeper coach, believe it or believe it not. I'm sure uh, our mutual pal, Liam Stone, would be quite surprised at that. I'd but, like to learn more about that as well. That'd be quite cool. <laughs> at some point. But um, I was so obsessed with trying to get the session to be something similar to what I'd seen on television. So something I'd seen, um, you know, keepers do with professional coaches or professional football mm. keepers. Mm. I was really obsessed with trying to emulate that. Me, um, me watching like Man United in the warm-up as well. I'd be like that as well. Oh, I've got to take yeah. it. I've got to show the kids how yeah. to do it. And yeah. then you're just like taken aback and you're humbled in a way. Did you have yeah. that kind of feeling as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I remember, um, you know, and I, and I look back now and, at the time, I thought I was doing really effective coaching. I, I ran an under-11s team. I think I was 17, 18. I, I was the manager, the team manager. Um, and I was screaming, shouting all on the touchline. Every session was, uh, you know, all about intensity. It, it was all about trying to work on some tactical or technical topic. Yeah. And I sort of come back now. And, and obviously at that time, I, I, you know, I'd not even started studying. I just started with the experience. I had a lot of experience early on, but had not done a lot of studying. Yeah. Um, and I remember when I got to university and would sort of introduced to this word context. Well, that word had never really had any meaning to me before. And, you know, when I sort of reflect on that time now, sort of 10 years later or, or eight years later at 25, um, it actually was, it wasn't correct for the context, what I was trying to do. Actually, the coaching I was doing was, you probably would get away with it in under-18s, under-16s, maybe in under-15s. Um, but we had an under-11s team that were there primarily to have fun and enjoy themselves. We were making it serious. We were um, having, you know, I can remember talking about standards with them, about turning up and putting everything into the training session. Mm. Um, I mean, and this is actually something that encouraged me to, uh, to do my dissertation for the Masters all about, that how, in my opinion, grassroots coaches take a lot of influence through the senior game. Through mm -hmm. the professional game, we see professional football, uh, obviously it's so widespread and we can take so much influence from that. We can only just you know type on YouTube, type in Julian Nagelsmann's session and that comes up and we can copy that and we can do that with our under-11s. But um, when, when I look back now and think about what I was doing, it wasn't right for the context. 
And I can remember at the end of that season, a lot of parents turning around and sort of not criticising, but sort of saying, you you know, we maybe you need to reconsider what you're doing. And I can remember at the time thinking, these are, well, what are these on about? I'm, a, I'm the best 18-year-old coach in the world. How dare they say something like that about me? That kind of thing. But when I reflect back now, you know, they, they were right. It wasn't right for the context. So, I mean, you know, just going back to yourself there, uh, what, what brings a smile to my face now, I guess, as a coach educator is that there is clearly an understanding of the context. You, you clearly have an understanding of why these kids are coming. And, you know, I've certainly had that myself where you think it's a bad session mm. and you are feeling, oh God, you know, that's not when I wanted it to go but you still get the kids come up and say thanks. Yeah. And sometimes we are the biggest critics of ourselves, aren't we? Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, fascinating. So, um, I mean, tell me about a little bit more about your coaching. So what is the bits of your coaching? Is it, um, I don't know, teaching a kid a skill? Is it seeing some development over time? We've had a kid that can't kick a football and suddenly they can pass. What are the, the bits of your coaching so far that you've reflected on and thought, wow, I've, I've done a good job there, or that bit of practice I did was really effective, or that bit of feedback I did was really effective. I mean, what would be your thoughts around that, Hamza? It's my approach. It's my approach, just like you mentioned over there as well. So my approach literally went from, oh, yeah, I'm going to turn up. I'm going to I'm gonna lay the smack down. I'm going to be teaching these kids how to do it. The parents are going to love me, that type of thing. But realistically, it's just the approach. It's just taking a, a fun manner, being like a big brother, a young uncle type of thing to these kids as well. And the best thing is that kids of like all ethnicities, all backgrounds. And the main thing is I'm trying to get them to do, just be friends with one another. I turn, I sometimes turn it into a, a coach versus kids type game and stuff like that as well, in terms of how they go about it. And there's one, there's one moment when there's a kid, I told, I told some of the, I told all the kids um, to be playing and I told them to all do a certain skill to get certain points uh, from one side of the pitch to the other. One kid was last he did everything perfectly and the person who was first did nothing correct he just ran one to the other which is fine so when everything stopped i got him to the side of me and he thought he was in trouble but i i i advertise it like that i was like oh, why don't you come stand next to me i'll tell you what you did and then what i did was i was like you were the only one who went through all of these cones by yourself dribbling the ball how i taught you to dribble and i think you're the actual winner of this thing and then all the kids were like whoa he actually did and he was right and then and i got them to all cheer his name and stuff like that because he was really upset that he came last like why are you upset you literally did everything right you told you did everything i told you to do you did it perfectly first time as well fantastic and from that moment everyone just kind of learned from what their peers have been doing from what their friends have been doing it's not about always being first it's about making sure you're first doing it correctly but doing it correctly first the technique's right that's what that's what I've really enjoyed doing. And that's what I've really learned in terms of it. You can do whatever you want to be the quickest person in the world. You can be the fastest person, but as long as you're doing it right, that's what makes it, that's what makes it for me. That's what makes it for me going forward. Sam. Yeah. A lot to resonate there. I, I can certainly uh, think about a lot of experiences myself. Um, you know, always the, the strongest, the fastest kids always think they've, they've won having everything, haven't they? And you mm. know, I've had a lot of, kids I've worked with who, uh, you know, don't have that. But usually I've always found in my coaching that the kids that are perhaps not blessed with uh, a lot of talent or blessed with a lot of skill or a lot of pace or the fastest, the strongest, the quickest, uh, usually those have the determination to work harder. Those are the ones that I, I, I value a lot more as well because I'm the one that's trying to highlight them because I'm like, yeah. there'll be people who are like, 
oh yeah, I've been playing football for two years now. Yeah. I've been in the school football team, this kind of thing. But I'm just there like, it doesn't matter. I was like, here you're all equals. It doesn't matter where you're playing, how you're playing. It was like, if you're not winning as a team together, then I'm the one winning. The coach is beating the, the kids at the moment. So mm. that's what I'll do. Because sometimes I'll join in with the drill and I'll be like, this is what I'm doing. This is what you need to do. This is how you need to do it. And if you're there trying to just win by yourself, you're not going to win. I'm about that team mentality over the individual mentality because yeah. I believe when you've got the individual mentality, that'll be further down the line, 13, 14, 15 years old. When you're six, seven, eight years old, that shouldn't matter at all. Just yeah. play together, play in different positions and experience things differently, but enjoy it together as a team. Yeah. And, and I mean, a, a question that I'm, I'm quite interested to ask is, is there any anything there in terms of your reasoning based around your own experience. So, you know, for myself, um, I was quite lads. I come through as a swimmer. Um, I was subject to what you call early specialisation. In other words, I was swimming six, seven, sometimes eight times a week. Mm. Uh, because of my commitment to swimming, I never developed in any other like skills, like throwing, catching, basic movement skills, fundamental skills, as we call them. Mm. Uh, I couldn't do any of them. And because of that, when we'd be in PE, uh, you know, after school clubs, all that sort of stuff. I was always the worst. In, in you know, I probably wasn't, but in my head, I always felt I was the worst because you know, I'd be like eight years old, I couldn't catch. And when you think about it, it's kind of ridiculous now. But at the time, I felt like I was the only one that couldn't catch. And I always felt as a kid that the best player, so like in high school, it was the best footballer, always got the most attention from the uh, teachers from 100%, uh, 100%. you know like coaches coming in you know I don't know if you used to get your school coach coming in doing sessions we had local coaches from uh, local teams hmm. so when I first started coaching um, I was very very conscious about almost giving more attention to the lesser school players and the better school players I wouldn't say I didn't give them any attention I, I obviously always made sure to try and create relationships with everyone Yeah, I didn't want to just focus on them. And now, you know, I'm 25. I'm talking about my experiences at school 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, uh, 10 years ago. Um, obviously, that's probably changed a little bit more. Now there's probably a little bit more awareness into that. Coaching's improved, teachers improved, you know, the profession has moved on. But that was always something that really stuck with me in my early days. So is there any sort of, uh, you know, personal, I guess, justification for, you know, what you were just saying there? Eh, not really. From what I can remember, because I was in the school cricket team, I was in a cricket team uh, back when I was living in London, which was great. Um, where I grew up is fine. Um, but I'd always get involved in sports. I was never that guy to shy away. So I get involved in rugby, didn't make the team, wasn't good enough. But I got in, involved with it, which is great. Football, same thing, got involved with it, wasn't great. Just played with my friends afterwards. Um, but did boxing uh, in my early adult years, which I enjoyed, I loved. And that was something where i never done an individual sport like swimming or like tennis. So I did tennis, but for fun, badminton for fun. Um, but it's one of those things that I learned across my own development as well in terms of like, you know how coaches always try and big up their, the, the brightest star. Oh, they're going to make it to the Premier League. They're going to do this. They're going to do that, that type of thing. For me, when I was like playing cricket in, in the school team or um, whenever I was playing uh, for my club as well, it was just great to just be a part of a team. I enjoyed it. I couldn't care less if some people were getting hyped up more than others because I remember some some players were like um, the coach's sons, basically. So they were just like involved in the team, whatever the result was. So I'm just there like, okay, cool. It is what it is. Um, but for me, I was just there. Like, I was, I'm happy to take part. I saw it more of a social event more than actually like, playing. I've said this before. It was, more of a, it was more of a social event for me. And that's what benefited me 
meeting different people, learn about different backgrounds, learn how to get on with different people on the team. That was something that when I look back on it in hindsight, that's why I love team sports so much because you get to develop and build yourself and build your character and your qualities in different ways as well. So that's when, when I did boxing a couple of years ago and I've just trained to become like an amateur fighter for the sake of it because I enjoyed it. It's great. That was just all down to me and my mental resolve, my mental toughness, my struggles that I had at the time. And I just got rid of it by boxing and I loved it. But realistically, Sam, when you're looking back at it, it would probably resonate with me more when I'm looking at some of these kids and I'm like, yeah, they may not be the best because when I'm looking at some of the best in, in the group, which I probably haven't identified yet, to be fair, because I haven't played games so much, but, um, that much, I would say. It's more about, yeah, you may be the best, but your objective being one of the best players in the team is to help your teammates to come to your level as well. Because if you're shining alone, it doesn't help you. And I use Liam's quote. You know, Liam made that quote the other day when he was talking about how a candle doesn't lose its light um, if it, by, brighten, uh, by lighting another candle. I use that. And then they didn't get it. The parents got it in the end, which is great. The coach got it, which is great. But it's just the fact that if you want to help someone, help yourself, but also help the person next to you, help them become a better footballer. If I can't teach them to do that, then you can help them to do that in your own way, which is great. And I know they're only five, six, seven years old, which is fine. It's literally one of those things that I'm just there to look at them and then say, you can be the best, but you can be better by training these people, by helping your friends. And that's something that I've really enjoyed doing and that's something that I've had to learn in terms of that's a good way of communicating with kids as well making sure that 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 their friends are succeeding as well as them yeah I mean that, that's that's really interesting just to finish because um I mean uh, again you know I'm not too sure now but you know five years ago there was always a sense I felt with working with kids where you didn't really have teamwork growing up you know, I remember like coaching young uh, grassroots teams and it would always, we, the team would win or lose for one or two individual players. Mm. And I always remember that sort of skill of teamwork being really, one, really difficult to coach. But actually with coaches I was working with, it was never really, um, you know, thought about. I think the individualism was always praised. And actually when we think about, uh, you know, sort of mentioned it earlier, leading on to life skills, something I always go on about, Um you know, that's really important to teach kids that, yeah. uh, you know, when I came through as a coach, I never even thought about off field development. I was just obsessed about trying to get the team to win because I thought success was about my under 11 grassroots team winning every game. It was in reality, success would have been, and I'm sure they got this, those kids having fun, uh, developing off field, having more confidence, be more, uh, you know, comfortable in, in team environments. I remember, couple of boys that we had I mean these lads would be 16 17 now but I remember we had a really quiet kid you know and lucky that we found that that kid became more comfortable in that environment that's what sports around in in the sort of grassroots um, settings and you know it's it's really uh, pleasing to hear that you've made that awareness because I can tell you from my experience particularly in coach education um, that awareness is not always there it, it, it isn't always obvious and it's usually just subconscious by coach. It's not purposefully done, uh, but sometimes it, it takes a number of years. And it certainly took me a, a number of years, Hamza, to realise that what's the context here? What is actually the most important thing, God, you would say? No, I was just going to say something I learned at university, which I took into my coaching was learning. I've always had this trait in me, but I've never had it in coaching or football because I thought football was such a cutthroat business. So when I came in, I was like, rah, 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 let me do this, let me do that and try and make a name for myself that way. But it's kind of linked with, with what we do in a podcast and what we're doing 
um, now at university, learn about empathy from a coach. Just, just like you mentioned there, learn about how to be empathetic with the players, putting yourself in their situations, putting yourself in the, the kid who's on the bench and who wants to play. It's not all about winning the game, like you said, at that age group. It's really not. So there was, um, there's an FA test I think they did at university where you had loads of animals in a football team. Who would you play in a football team? A giraffe, a rhino, a hippopotamus, tortoise, donkey, whatever it is. And then uh, at university, what we did was we had all of these teams, which was great, but no one picked the turtle because the turtle was like the slowest one. Uh, small wasn't about. And then the lecturer at the time, he was like, the turtle nowadays, he'd be considered as a javi because he was slow. He was in and around these little places. But because you never gave him an opportunity to get some game time in your game, you don't know what he's capable of. And that's what I've really learned. And that's something that needs to head home for a lot of coaches, a lot of grassroots coaches. You never know what you're going to get when you've got someone sitting on a bench wasting their Saturday morning, Sunday mornings coming to play football when they can't get to play football because you're only giving them 10 minutes of a 60-minute game. There's no point in that and there's no fun in that. And at this age, I believe, I really believe that football is all about fun. It's all about being social. And it's also for the coach to be a lot more empathetic than trying to be the next Carlo Ancelotti, Thrax Ferguson, uh, whoever it is. It's not all about showing off your tactics to opposition managers. Even if your opposition managers goading you, it's like, oh yeah, my team's better than you. Yeah, it could be. But you want to develop people, not just players. That's how I see it. You want to develop people who are going to have a fun time playing, they want to come back. They want to play for you. And the parents at the end of the day, they'll, they'll be really happy. And they'll be really impressed with the fact that a lot of these kids are getting some social time because they may not get that time after school or um, during the holidays even as well. And that's at this age for me, more important than showing off your tiki taka with seven, eight year olds, because at the end of the day, they just want to play football, have fun, go home, play games. That's it, literally it. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really good message and, and not just for grassroots football or, or grassroots soccer, mm. uh, but, all, but all grassroots sports, really. Um, you're so right, sort of the volunteer nature. You know, it's difficult to criticise coaches when they're volunteering so much time. Mm. Um, but it is it is difficult to, you know, remember that you're not doing it to show off what you can do. I was very guilty of that. Mm. Um, you know, I think my dad would probably probably say that as well. He, he was a coach for, for 10 years. Uh, working at grassroots level but you know you know you're so right and it, it goes back to what we said a bit earlier on about understanding the context you know what is effective coaching in that context uh, you know the context should determine in my opinion everything that you're doing and and why you are doing it but the sports coaching podcast with sam holmshaw uh, yeah brilliant hamza i mean let's move on to uh, segment two uh, otherwise we'll be here all day talking it's okay the listeners have got lots of content to go through as well Certainly have. Um, so, I mean, we've spoken about your, you know, early moments in your coaching, being a coach for three or four months. So what I want to ask you now is I want you to reflect on your best session or your best uh, moment, if you like. What was the period where you've come home and you thought uh, that was the best session I've ever done? That's the best session I've ever done. Um, you know, it might have been because of, of what you did in the session. It might have been uh, the outcome of the session. Uh, it might have been, you know, what you saw within the session. But when you come home, you reflect, what was the best session that you've ever done? And why for you was that your best session, coaching at your best? Probably the last session that I did, basically. So um, that was, again, one of those ones when I'm looking at the numbers. And this is something that we always get banged on about at 
university. You never know who's going to turn up, who's not going to turn up, what kind of levels are going to turn up. So it's the fact that all these new kids were turning up, playing games, waiting for the session to be loaded. I'm just there like, sugar, I haven't planned properly for this. I'm just there like trying to make it the most fun hour possible. And that's when you kind of turn it into more of an acting job than a coaching job because you want to get the kids up and running, bubbly, excited, having fun. Uh, again, the listener today will, will be counting how many times they say fun and having fun because it's literally what it is, really. You want to make sure that they're going home, not going, oh, I learned how to do a long pass today, but, oh, I got to speak, speak to all these new people. I got to learn how to do this. I got to learn how to do this as well, which is great. And that was really it. It was the fact that it wasn't something that I planned. It was something that I improvised, Sam. It was something that I had to improvise on the spot because I'm just there like, this is more than I'm used to more than I'm um, used to talking to as well. So even the little things that I have, I have, I have a, a little section of the pitch that I get to coach on. There'll be a line that I make sure they will stand on, start with their drills on there as well. And it's just making sure that I'm looking around and I'm looking at, okay, this is a space I've got. When they're doing a drill, how can I improvise it? How can I progress it further? How can I make it more fun for them? And I'm just there thinking, just... Uh, try and make everything a game, try and make everything into a competition because it's still game relevant as well. There's still game relevance in what we're doing in terms of passing and shooting and dribbling as well. But you're kind of looking at it thinking, yeah, this is the fun things about football that you get to do. You get to run with the ball. You've got to make sure of it. I'd always call out the kids when they're going out of our little um, zone into the, I call it like the deep sea zone as well. So like if you go out here, you're in the deep sea, you're stuck there for 30 seconds, you can't come back. So they learn about making sure they're not having heavy touches, that type of thing as well. Uh, the end zone that we have is in terms of making sure you're there and you're ready for the next uh, next drill where we're going to start from as well. It's literally just, like I said, improvising on the spot, making sure that you're having fun. Because at that time, that's probably the most fun session I've, I've actually done. The fact that I'm there in my mind thinking, I don't know what I'm doing next. I really don't know how I'm doing next. Because when I'm planning, I'm just there like, yeah, 10 minutes, that's fine. 10 minutes is done another five minutes, another five minutes, have a little break, five minutes, then prepare for the next one. When I'm doing that, I'm feeling more like it's a job. But when I had it more like it was uh, just me having fun, me enjoying what I can do, that's when I was like more in my element in a way. I know you can't really get away with that when you're at um, older age groups and stuff like that. That's fair enough. But at that time, I'm just there like, this is crazy because I'm just there like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I know how I'm going to do it. And then I brought that little dodgeball game, controlling the ball in again. The kids love that for some reason. They love hitting their coach. Don't get why, but I'm such a lovable guy. Why would you want to hit me in the face with the football? No one knows. No one knows, but they love it clearly. So that was it really. Um, literally just a whole hour of improvisation, developing on the spot. And it got me thinking for a whole 60 minutes of what I can do better, how I can develop better. And then I went home thinking, do I need to actually do that again? And I had to write down everything that I actually did because I'm just there like, a lot of the other coaches are looking at, wow, your, your group's the loudest, they're having fun, they're laughing, they're joking. I'm just there like, yeah, yeah, it's fine, it's cool. I didn't think of anything of it, but when I got home, I was like, that was actually pretty good. Really odd when you have a, a, a thing like that. But have you ever experienced something like that, Sam, when you've just improvised a whole session on the spot? Yeah, uh, I find, I mean, I find that really interesting because, you know, I, I work with a lot of beginner coaches and, one trait that you often find with a beginner novice coach is they plan a session 
And this session will have maybe, you know, warm up one, two, maybe three activities. It's based around whatever, you know, some technique, some tactic, and then there's, you know, your, your game, then there's your cool down. What you find that, you know, sort of coaches just starting out is they feel that they have to stick to the script. Mm. In other words, okay, uh, we've planned to do a warm up for five minutes, right? Five minutes is over. Okay, go and get your water, come back. Uh, now we're going to work on, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to work on passing in pairs. Okay, we're going to do this for 10 minutes, right? 10 minutes has been. Okay, now let's move on. Now it's the next drill. Now that is, uh, a, you know, someone starting out right at the beginning. Actually, what you're demonstrating there yourself is what you'd call moving into, I think it's a, an author called Shemp, Shemp et al, 2006. He talks about sort of levels of coaching experience and he says uh, a competent coach, i.e. someone who has a decent level of experience just moving past the beginner stage, is someone who can then begin to improvise mm. and actually look at the information in front of you and make a decision. So, you know, like I said, going back to my example before, if you're doing this activity and it's gone past, you know, you, you, you allocate a time, but in your context, in which it's about fun, it's about enjoyment, getting the kids engaged. If the kids are really engaged with it, why would you move on? Mm. And what beginner coaches can be really guilty doing Hamzu is they, they don't ignore that information that's in front of them. You know, we're seeing this with our eyes. We can hear what's happening. It, it, it's working, but I've got to stick to the plan. So, Firstly, what that demonstrates for me is that you've moved past that sort of beginner stage. So that's really good. Um, improvising on the spot. Absolutely. Um, I think that you have to learn to do that. You will never, ever, I've maybe had it twice where you've had a session that has gone exactly how you wanted it to go. And I must have done now thousands, thousands of sessions all through age groups. Yeah. Uh, it's very rare that you get that. And I think what sort of the uh what's the word almost like when you start as a coach and then you sort of get to a point where you decide if actually you're good to carry on in this a big thing about that is how well can you improvise you have to be able to improvise you know think about any sort of level of sport uh you know me now managed to work my way up in sort of like the elite youth elite academy level um i have to improvise in my decision making all the time you, you never know what's going to happen is a player going to go off what can we do with this player um uh, you know how are we going to engage this player into this blah 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 um but think about when, when you're starting off perhaps in your context that you have to be able to improvise to players not turning up having more players than you're expecting or what about when you've got 10 players that are really high skilled and five that are maybe not as skilled now did you know that before you came up to that session today um you have to be able to compromise and have i done that myself i do it all the time i still do it now um you know and i'm not saying that you shouldn't plan you know you have to plan obviously um but sometimes when you go to your first ever session and you don't actually have any information about who you're working with what's the ability um, you know, what's the reasons for being there? Are they there for sun? Are they there to learn, quote unquote? Um, are they there for a sort of serious session? Um, yeah. Sometimes actually the first couple of sessions, I actually think it, it's important to, to just go and improvise and get a feel for the group. And then once you have that, then you can begin to learn. But I mean, let me, you know, sort of bounce that back at you. You're talking about improvising there. So you've turned up, this is your last session or one yeah. of the last yeah. sessions you've done. So you've obviously got, from what it sounds like at this point of you doing this session, you have information in your head of this group that you're working with. 
Now, did you use that at that point? Is that how you felt comfortable to just go and improvise? Yeah, much? absolutely. Because I it was one of those things that I'm learning a bit more about their strengths and their weaknesses as well. So first of all, I just need to kind of respond to what you just said, the fact that good coaches improvise. That's given me a big weight off my shoulders and a sigh of relief, really, when you were speaking about that. Because I'm just there like, oh, sugar. But that's the, the thing about like my gaffer and the coach that we have. They don't see results as, oh, yeah, all of them can pass now. All of them can dribble now. They see it as the kids are having a good time. They're enjoying it. They want to come back. They're screaming and laughing their heads off, which is great. So I'm just there like improvisation clearly is a good way to go for this little group as well, that which I have as well, which is fantastic. But um, just for me, Sam, in terms of how I would go about it, I, I would learn a bit more about how, would you kind of say, again, just to throw it back to you as well, would you say it's more the fact that with new coaches, Sam, there's a lot more in terms of like that, that training wheel type vibe that we have in terms of, oh, we want to go in there, we want to impress, we want to show off what we can do. But would you say it's beneficial to go in with a hint of like, let's say you have 10 minutes free of the session plan. That's where your improvisation, that's where you can see your um, results going forward. Just to throw it back to you again, Sam, would you say that's something that you would recommend to young coaches going forward? Really interesting question. And I think it is, again, what's your context and and, and almost what can you kind of get away with? So, mm. you know, when I first started coaching at the sort of youth elite level, um, that was a big jump. Yeah. That, that was a huge jump from where I was at coaching in senior football. Uh, the level of tactical understanding was far greater. Uh, the players I was working with, you know, I was no longer talking about like a singular press, if we use a football example. Now we're talking about gagging press. Now we're talking about pressing triggers. Now we're talking about uh, a counter pressing. Now, if you don't have a lot of experience for me when I first stepped in, uh, it's hard to improvise because what you end up doing is you end up improvising in, you know, every coach has a set of drills that the go-to drills. Yeah. Now, you know, when I was at grassroots, I'd have a set of go-to drills. If for whatever reason a session wasn't working, maybe I'd go to one of them. Yeah. If I've ever done that at Academy and I've maybe done it once because I quickly found out you couldn't do it, those go-to improvisation drills that I'd done for years and years and years and got away with it, amateur senior women's football and my experience in semi-pro, I got away with that. But when I went into the youth elite, you know, the players were, it did not challenge them. It didn't meet their challenge point. So in terms of is improvisation a good thing, the ability to be able to improvise and recognize when something's working, you know, it, that, that's about making judgment. It's about making a judgment based on the information you've got in front of you. You know, yeah. why change a session if it's working? Why uh, do you have to progress something if the players aren't ready yet? Even though it says on your session, progress it after five minutes. Actually, you might need to give them another 10 minutes. Actually, if it says don't progress them for 10 minutes and then we're going to introduce this 10 minutes in, yeah, but the players have got it after a minute or two minutes. That's the improvisation bit that is key as a coach, but you have to, you have to have, you know, in terms of sort of going in, uh, you know, maybe planning ten minutes, you have to know what's suitable for that context and and the sort of sessions that are going to come in there ultimately comes with a high amount of experience if that makes sense, Hamza. So if I was to go to kick about tomorrow, um, you know, sort of now being in youth elite for eight months, yeah. I think I could probably get away with not planning a session but I'd get away with it once. You know, I, I'm still developing my locker, if you like, of the sessions that I'm doing. And as I do more and more and more, learn more about the game, more deeper understanding, you can start to get away with that. Had I have done that in my first ever session, 
I'd have got very quickly found out that I didn't know what I was doing, if that yeah. makes sense. So it really depends on the level that you are. So, you know, you at the minute, you're at this level where it's an introduction to football. Yeah. Kids are not going to turn around to you and ask you about what you know about the game, are they? No. Well, actually, you know, you're talking about early, I think you mentioned playing a dodgeball game. That's really suitable for what you're playing with. And, and what's, I guess, a nice thing for you is you can experiment a little bit. Yeah. But it really depends on the context because, you know, when you're like myself, get into open age women's football, if you don't know what you're talking about and you improvise, you'll get quickly found out. So it really depends on the context where you're at, Hamza, to answer the question. If I answer. No, you answered it perfectly as well. It's just about knowing your environment in a way as well and making sure that you're aware of what you can and can't get away with because you don't want to be looking like a, a champ at the end of the day, but just by throwing in something that the players are just there like, what the hell is this? We've been doing this for like 10 years. We don't need to do it again. So, no, that was just to um, throw it back to you. So thank you for answering that. That's, again, another sigh of relief after just hearing that as well, especially from someone as um, esteemed as you in the football coaching community, Santa. Nicely done there as well. Well, I appreciate that. So, so let me ask you a last question. Yeah. No, um, you, you asked me a question before, but I deflected because of that. What was the question before? I, I must admit, Hamza, I can't remember. <laughs> That's okay. back, when we listen to this podcast, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, you'll, you can answer that another time. But okay. um, I'm not Part sure if you've, yeah, I'm not sure if you've come across the concept of reflection in action or reflection on action. Mm. You may have come across that. So Definitely. I think that was sort of second year, maybe early third year when I really began to understand that. So um Reflection on action for the listeners that aren't aware of your sort of, you know, you've, you've done a session, uh, you've come home, you're in the car, you're reflecting on what you've done. You know, I would often call it a debrief as such if you're having a conversation with a coach and you are reflecting on what worked and why in relation to the context, what didn't work and why. But then you've got reflection in action, which is when you actually are, the session is in front of you, you can see with your own eyes what's happening and you reflect in that moment of, this is working really well, or this isn't working really well. So what I want to ask you is, have you experienced those? It sounds like you have. And if you have, how is that informed? Particularly, you know, when you're talking about improvisation there, and that's probably related to reflection in action, mm. but how has that led to that successful session? If that's uh, yeah, I'll give you an example. When I was coaching at university, I was doing, I was leading a session on long range shooting. So one of the feedbacks I got with it was you were worrying too much about where the balls were going because it's long range shooting. When you give a bunch of university students a chance to long range shoot, shoot like Veron, shoot like Gerard, shoot like Batistuta, whoever you want to shoot like. Again, a couple of these guys didn't know who Veron or Batistuta was. So I was just there like, oh my days, I'm too old for this. Like literally because my era is somewhat, somewhat different. But they're shooting balls like over the goal and into like the car park and stuff. But I'm just there focusing on where the balls were. That was when my uh, coach at the time, Jack, was just saying, yeah, it was a great session. The kids were having fun. The guys were having fun. But you're focusing on the balls. Why are you focusing on the balls? Because I'm like, oh, if the balls run out, then they can't continue the drill and we won't hit the, the, the time limit thing. He's like, no, you're the coach. Get some feeders in to get the balls back and get them back for you. That would be the best thing for you. But for you, you need to focus on how, they, how they're actually shooting, how they're shooting well, who's shooting well, throwing in the interventions there and then. And I'm just there like, okay, that's something I could have done with having um, just that response straight away as well in my mind. But that was, again, when I was like brand new to coaching as well. And I'm just there like, oh, I just want to put on a good session, make it look good, make sure it's fun, make sure the, the energy is high, which is the main thing. But even, even recently, 
coaching um, is something that you're always reflecting upon yourself. You're reflecting, did I do this right? Did I lay it out right? Is it too difficult? Is it too small? Is the pitch too big for them? Are they going to get tired too, too early as well? Is it too dangerous as well for kids at this age as well? So that's something that I'm kind of more relaxed about, to be fair, Sam. I'm, I'm not too keen on um, reflecting straight away. It's one of those things that I'm happy reflecting on my journey back in the car. But that's something that I like to do more about because I'm, I'm a bit more present in that moment in a way because I'm just literally just there. Like, I want to see the kids having fun. I want to see them passing the ball around. I want to see them shooting, having fun, making the most of it, really. But it's one of those things that I think when I have that five-minute break, when I'm setting up the next session, the kids are having some water and whatever, that's when I'm best reflecting in action as well because I'm literally just there like, okay, this is going well. Let's see if I can continue this. This isn't going well. I want to develop this in a different angle as well. And that's kind of how I've done it recently. But again, just to throw something back to you, Sam, in terms of reflection and action, does it overbear you in a way if you're, if you're reflecting too much? Or is it still something that people can kind of just deal with in a way if they reflect too much in action? Really good question. Um, I often find, and it's linking to what you just said there about wanting to look good. Um, I think the biggest challenge in coaching when you first start out, and I, I honestly, I suffer with this now, is uh, conforming to external criteria. In other words, do those parents think this looks a good session? Mm. Now, you know, me now, I'm, I've just finished my master's, um, eight years experience in coaching. I'm pretty experienced. I know what I'm doing. You know, I've, I know what a good session is. I know what learning looks like. Yeah. But still now, you know, I will be looking over at the parents and thinking, are they happy? We'll, you know, we're paying with this. Yeah, are they happy with what this session is? And sometimes in, in terms of reflection in action, um, I think you, you're right. It can overbury a little bit if you are thinking about what others thinking about this session. So often we think that a good session is um, players are behaved as such, players are getting on with the task. Um you know, players are demonstrating the concept that you've worked on. So if you've tried to teach them, I usually use the example of a side foot pass yeah, or, or they've done that, you know, that's what we can get a little bit overbared on. But actually that's not learning. Learning is non-linear. So, you know, I always talk about, uh, I've said this a lot to like some of the parents we work with now. Um, you didn't go to school and you were not taught how to add, subtract, multiply, divide in one lesson you didn't suddenly know that you did that through years and years and years of practice and years of developing and it's the same in learning so sometimes coaches are a little bit too obsessed with right here's this the tactic or here's the technique or here's this skill um this is what it is you go and practice that we should see them them do that in the sunday game or yeah. you know whatever whatever sport that is but that isn't learning you know, that, that's not learning at all. Um, you know, and I think sometimes in terms of reflection and action, when we're thinking about, oh, does this look a good session? Um, I think you have to get away from that. And I'm so guilty of it now. And, you know, I'm experienced, you know, but I still get, I still think about, does this look a good session? But, you know, it's like a, I spoke to our academy manager at Kickabout, Tom, Tom Duncurley. I'll give him a name drop because uh, mm -hmm. I know he'll be listening. But we were talking about me... Uh, giving a bit of feedback to the players and I'm looking at the players. I'm always conscious. What do the players look like? You know, they look bored and listening. If not listening, let's get them back on with something. Yeah. And there were two players or three players, like they got ball at the feet, um, sort of like messing around with the ball. Now, how I was taught in my early days of coaching was pick up the ball, 
look at eye contact. Are you listening? Yeah. I, I, that I was always, and, and it's sort of like it's that disciplinary I'll, mindset I'll, of just like and I'll always doing it and that's it. That. So I always, and even now, even though I know that's not really learning, but if I don't see that, I always like have an inkling that the player's not listening. Mm. And a couple of lads have, were doing that to me. And I remember speaking to Tom after, and Tom said, just because they're kicking around with a ball at the feet and they're not looking at you, it doesn't mean that they're not listening. It doesn't mean that they're not learning. And the, the, I guess the point I'm leading to is that sometimes with reflection and action, if it's not looking like the, the players are misbehaving a bit or the drill isn't going how you want it to do, you, the reflection action can be a little bit too much. Yeah. Just because of the culture and how we're brought up in coaching. You know, there isn't a session where it's regimented as mm-hmm. such. You know, that isn't really learning. Actually, if there's a little bit of chatting communication, well, actually, you're going back to what you were saying earlier, that's a good thing, team bonding. Um, You know, but in the past, I'd have stopped that. No, we only talk if it's about football. But, you know, is that actually learning? Is that developing? And I think sometimes your reflection action can just be a little bit too much. And you've got to be careful that you've always got to go back to, for me, what am I trying to deliver? What, what's my session objectives? What's the purpose of this session? Um, you know, and remember that there's a good chance they're probably not going to do it in that session. Mm. You know, if you are stopping and starting it and saying, right, I've not seen you do this skill, do this, do this, do this, they might end up replicating it, but they won't do it in the game. Yeah. They won't do it the next session. And actually it's probably six months down the line. You'll see, you know, we've seen it kick about now. We've introduced concepts at the start of the season. We're, we're just seeing it now, eight months down the line. So that's the only danger for me. And I know that's a pretty long-winded answer, but it's all right because I'm hosting this podcast. But, you know, that's the only danger for me, Amza. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are about that. No, it's just, again, it's the peace of mind when I hear something like that as well. It's the fact that modern coaching is changing dramatically as we see it. Different coaches are coming in with different ideas and different mindsets and different abilities. And that's something that, for someone like me who's coming into it, is, is refreshing, really, because it just shows that it's not going to be just one way or no way. It's got to be a way that works for everyone. And it's got to be a way that it may not work for you when you were a kid and, and your coach treated you differently than others or talked to you differently than others. It's going to be something that has got to benefit you and the player as well. And at the end of the day, you got to have peace of mind with how you're going to be doing things further going down the line as well. So even the fact that um, you'd have that kick about as well, different mindset to how you'd be coaching, how people would be listening as well. That's something that I quite like as well. And that's something that, unfortunately for me, I'm kind of just like a bit more gassed about going into coaching now um, back on Monday as well. I can't wait to get back and try all of these new things that you've been telling me as well. And hopefully the listeners listening into this have picked up a lot of the good things as well. Cause it's just, it's just that peace of mind that you have that things aren't going to happen overnight. People aren't going to learn straight away. There's no such thing as a 21 day habit when the kid's six, seven years old is not going to learn to do things in the, in the straight 21 days of playing football. It may take 21 weeks to do it which is the main thing and that's something that a lot of people and a lot of coaches especially can learn from and develop from as well the patience will be there but when it actually happens like you just said it'll be gold it'll just be straight gold from there as well yeah it's so true and i don't know about other countries but obviously in england you know for yourself for myself there's a certain culture and tradition of what coaching is and what good coaching is. Mm. And I always implore coaches to move away from that. You shouldn't have that external, or this is what, you know, everyone thinks this is good coaching. Great. 
But have they gone to university and explored new concepts that have come out? No, no, they haven't. No, but that's what we're good 20 years ago. We have to move away from that. And, you know, listen, I'm not saying that a bad session is a bad session. If you've got a load of kids messing around and and that's not right for the context, then it might be a bad session. But you have to sort of always think about, for me, what is the purpose of this session? What am I trying to get out of it? And if I've got that out of it, even though it hasn't looked like a traditional session or a cultural session, mm. that we would have been used to, you know, probably me and you growing up, that's what we would have been used to. 100%. You know, that doesn't matter. As long as they've learned what you want them to, you know, as long as they've done what you want them to do, then, then that's what we should uh, judge successful coaching on. Fantastic. Right. Let's move on then. The Sports Coaching Podcast with Sam Holmshaw. Last segment, and I'm really interested, really interested about this, Hamza. Challenges and difficulties. Mm. We've all had this in coaching. I have it all the time. What are, in your four months, three, four months, your really career, what have been some of the challenges that you faced in your coaching and, and what have been the difficult moments that you know, you've know you had to go away and, and reflect on? I'm, I'm really excited to hear this part. Communication with kids who never met me before, have never met them before, don't know their names, don't know their abilities. Um, that was a struggle to begin with in terms of how can I communicate from trying to be the next Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola, Ralph Ragnick, whatever it is, to just being Hamza from coaching at football on Monday evening. So about levelling yourself is about empathising in a way as well with the other coaches and with, with the parents as well. In a way, I don't like saying this about myself, but it's probably true in terms of like lowering my, my expectations and lowering my... Uh, I don't I don't have an ego but like lowering my um, my thoughts my my previous thoughts on what coaching would be because everyone's got to start somewhere and I'm starting here and this is where I'm starting and this is where I'm working and this is what this is what I'm loving to do so far as well which is great fantastic work for me but I'm just there like everything I've learned everything I've seen from other people everything I've listened to again from this podcast and other coaching podcasts as well I'm just there like this is how you got to go in. This is how you got to assert your dominance. This is how you're going to get people to play the way that you want to play. It's about unlearning, Sam. That was a difficulty in unlearning what you need to do. It's about relating it to me playing with my younger cousins in their garden or just literally just playing at a park with, again, just different family members playing football, trying to teach them how to do something, just trying to relate in a way that you got, you got to be a bit more homely about it, a bit more comforting about it as well. Because the coaches, they give me whatever freedom I need, which is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I love them for it. And I just told them recently as well, I'm very loyal to you. I don't really want to move anywhere anytime soon. Unfortunately, I've had a couple of different offers from coaches, which is great. Somehow, I don't, I don't know who's offering me coaching roles when they haven't even seen me coach, unless they've been recommending me, which is great. But that was something of a shock. But I'm just there like, no, I'm quite happy um, where I am because you learn more about yourself than you do about the kids when you're a coach. And especially when you're a, grassroots coach because you learn more about how you can do things how you can communicate how you can go about things and I, I liken this to when I'm at a Man United game I'll lose my voice at the end of a session within an hour because I'm just there shouting screaming having a ball having great fun then my wife's like just telling me off on the way um when I'm back home she's like, oh you lost your voice again I'm like yeah I was just having a ball just having fun enjoying it instead of okay 10 more minutes of this five more minutes of this carry on with this it's more about enjoying more about what I want to do now as opposed to what i wanted to do when i first started 
I think you can get what you're, you're kind of getting the grasp of what I'm saying, Sam, in terms of developing yourself by unlearning, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I, a lot to resonate with. You can say I'm nodding a lot. Um, mm. Everyone starts somewhere. So true. Um, you know, but I think the biggest thing I learned was that this is a really long career. I started at 18 and I remember 25 now. Sorry, started at, at 15, but really started at 18 in terms of like doing it for myself, if you like. Yeah. You know, being having to manage a team on my own. That, that was, I always said, a real experience. Um, but I mean, yeah, you know, I can remember thinking, right, by the time I'm 25, I'll be doing this. Mm. You know, by the time I'm 28, I'll be doing this. Uh, by the time I'm 30, I'll have, you know, be a first team manager of a professional football club. Mm. It's funny now because that's five years away. But <laughs> it's going to um, happen. <laughs> I'd bet on it. But, um, uh, you know, I was, I remember being probably too quick to progress. So, like, I managed a grassroots team in Sheffield for two years. Then I went to uni and I think I managed another team. So, by the time I'd finished second year, I'd, I'd managed like four teams, four grassroots teams. Yeah. Right. I don't, I've completed grassroots, completed grassroots. I don't need to do anymore. Mm. I'm ready to move on to academy. Um, never got an opportunity eventually got an opportunity when I finished third year and it was a private football academy. And I went to that academy thinking I was everything. Mm. Let me tell you, I thought I knew everything and it was a rude awakening. Wow. Wow. You don't know it. And you've, you're right. It's a long career. Everyone starts somewhere. You know, I didn't play. I had to really learn the game, but um, you know, I like that you, you've got to be. You, you have know, to humble yourself. Yeah, you really have to humble yeah. yourself. You got to humble yourself. You got to be ready to make mistakes. I still make loads of mistakes now. Um, you know, I was used to—I won't say punish myself, but I used to get really down if I'd done a bad session. Hmm. Can't—it's it, a part of of learning and and, and what you are. It's part um, of like growth mindset as well. When you're thinking about yeah. it, you have to think about yeah, I've learned from my reflections in action or reflections afterwards as well. Like you said, it all just pieces together when you put it in that way as well. From what we've talked about in just this uh, yeah. podcast alone. But I mean, that's really interesting as well, where you say assert your dominance. Now, beginner coaches, if you go and read that work that Shemp's uh, gone about coaching levels, he always says a beginner coach is more interested about behaviour management than actually the session. How true is that? Because mm. that's I, what we're taught and that's what you read in books and that's how you're seeing it. And you're just there like, okay, cool. I'll go in, I'll do this, I'll do that. But when I'm just there like, okay, I don't need to be this, that or the other, it's perfectly fine. Because you're just thinking... Oh, you want them to respect me as a coach. You want them to um, listen to what we're saying. So that's those are the kind of thought processes you're going through. But at the end of the day, they don't need that from you. They need something else completely. And when you have that something else completely in your locker to actually distribute for an hour, even like I said at the beginning of the podcast, act in it. If you're going to act like that for an hour, it's brilliant. They'll buy into you and the parents will buy into you, which is fantastic. Yeah, it is because, I mean, I, I can remember... Um, if I'd disciplined, you know, if I, I, I was a massive disciplinarian, mm. couldn't talk when I talk, had to look at me, had to listen. And if I um, had disciplined kids, you know, I, I always used to really love working with tough kids. Uh, when yeah. I was working at summer camps, I always wanted the tough kids because I knew the other coaches couldn't deal with them and I could. Yeah. And I used to think that was really good coaching. But you look back and you were that obsessed with behaviour management that what did the kids actually learn, you yeah. know? 
and they might have learned a lot because I probably didn't say anything, mm. which is what I actually implore now. But you, you're right. And, and, and what I like about your progression is you've recognised that really early on. Again, for me, that probably took me two years until I went to uni and really started to realise that. So the fact that you've learned that in three to four months is uh, is, is pretty good going. Um, I learned so, from the best, yeah. i.e. the sports coaching podcast. So, yeah. Go get the plug in. Needed but, to be uh, done. Needed to be done. I mean, last question on this segment, and we've kind, you've kind of answered it, but let me ask it anyway. Yeah. Why has those challenges been challenging? Mm. And what would you do differently, which you've kind of answered, but I'll ask anyway, what would you do differently in the future and why? Yeah, it's just about humbling myself in terms of making sure that if I'm empathising with the kids and I'm empathising with the parents who've taken an hour out of their time, maybe even longer because of travel distance and whatever, they've had a long day at work, the kids have had a long day at school. I've also had a, like a long day at university um, on that Monday as well, so I'll be exhausted. But I want to have fun. I don't want to go in, deliver a session, come home, feel like I've wasted uh, my time. I don't want to be that guy anymore. And I've learned that in terms of, oh yeah, they need to pass by by um, April. Otherwise they're not going to make the first team next year. Oh, I've got to make sure I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got all this pressure. It's no, it's just none of that. Chill out for a bit, relax, enjoy the fact that you're there. Enjoy the fact that you're actually the coach for these kids. Enjoy the fact that you're actually there to help them not just play football, not just make friends, but, help them develop as human beings. When you when you strip it all back and you're literally just there, like they're they're trusting you for the next hour of their lives to keep them to keep them safe, to keep them happy and to enjoy. And the parents are doing exactly the same thing. So when I'm there just thinking, again, yeah, trying to be a tactical genius, let me try and show off. Let me try and show what I've learned at university back at uh, coaching. No, it's just about make sure they're having fun, make sure they're learning what they're doing, make sure they know why they're doing it in a certain way, make sure they're helping their friends develop their own skills as well and make sure that at the end of the day, you're going home knowing that you've done everything you can do for that session, for that one hour, and they've enjoyed it. You're making sure that you have to enjoy it as well as them enjoying it. And that's, that's, that's how I would say, and learn what you learned previously and humble yourself and enjoy yourself. That's the best thing. That I wish I would have learned straight away. What would you have done differently, Sam, from your episode one of coaching? Oof. If I could go back now... If, just one I, thing, just one thing. From the early days. From the early days, yeah. From the early days. I would have... Oh, what a question. I think the main thing for me was that as pretty much, you know, I resonate with what you just said there. I was trying to be the next Guardiola. Mm. And and they were a good team, don't get me wrong. And to be fair... They, probably used to that sort of culture yeah but it was such a strict environment we had t uh, we had players in the team that were not as good as other players and they weren't getting as much game time yeah we were dragging players you know sheffield up to like doncaster to barnsley for the american uh, listeners that aren't in england that's you know 45 minutes up to an hour um and it it, it was all about me it was all about me showing off you know and what I realised, and this was maybe two or three years ago, Hamza, when I got into the Masters, what I realised was when I got into coaching, I didn't decide to suddenly be a coach. You know, I never would have thought I'd have been a coach as a kid. Mm. Especially um, from your background in swimming as well. That uh, was yeah, a big job. Very individual, selfish sport. So I, I never would have guessed I'd have been a coach. The reason I got into coaching was because um, I experienced – that all the sort of the best players got all the attention and I hated that. 
Mm. So I remember, you know, sort of as a fluke, really, just turning up to a session and helping the, you know, the poorer ability players or the, the weaker players. And I got a real kick out of that and I was helping them. But then I guess as my ego sort of lifted off, it all then became about me. And I remember yeah. when I went to Masters and I, and I really reflected on this. Um, I realised that I wasn't getting anywhere really in my career at that particular time because everything was about me. I wasn't doing what I started, which was to help people. And you're so right. We're so in such a privileged position as a coach where you're working with athletes that uh, or youngsters that, you know, I, I was really looking at a very uh, supportive mum and dad's lots of brothers, good family backgrounds. Not everyone has that. Yeah. A lot of kids, players, athletes, fully grown adults who you work with as a coach, you know, you are that person to them and you have to remember that, you know, and the big thing of coaching, I think is, you know, you've got to be selfless as a coach anyway. Um, Good term that, got to be selfless. You've got to be. I mean, you know, we don't get paid all the money and we travel around a lot, but mm. why do you do it? You know, and if you do it for yourself, now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have goals and ambitions. You know, my goal is to go and be a professional football coach. You know, right. I, I want to do that. I have ambitions, but it's not for me. It's because I, I want to help people. I think there's a better way of coaching out there. You know, I, I'm working at this academy now. I've introduced a lot of different concepts, different types of coaching where we're not screaming and shouting at players. And it's new. It's different. Yeah, Players buy into that. They improve. They get better. You look at other teams that are still perhaps stuck in those traditional ways and you're seeing them screaming when they lose a the game and you're thinking, it's under 15, it's under 14, it's under 10. It's, it's more, like kids' day off from school as well. There's more important things in the world, as we're experiencing at the minute, by the way. You know, you can't uh, be selfless. But yeah, I mean, like I say, a, a lot to resonate with yourself there. I mean, I don't know if there's any thoughts from yourself to throw it back at you. No, you've, you've just summed up who was literally like we were both saying, you've got to go to the human element. The human element is the most important of why we're coaching and what we get out of coaching as well. Because again, we both want to make it in the professional game. We both want to do the best we can in terms of coaching and, and management as well. But it's all about the, the human element. Why are we doing it? What are we doing in that present moment when we're actually there? Coaching these kids, coaching in these different environments, learning from these different people. It's all down to the human element for me, which is so underrated, Sam. So, so underrated, especially in coaching in, in the UK and in, um, in the football that we played as well. When you when you look at some of the videos in some of these other countries, like you said, you've got listeners from like the USA, Canada even as well, North America, Australia, the human element is so big and so touched upon. And it shows and it shows in, the, in their plays in the way that they're playing as well, which is the biggest thing possible. Everyone wants to try and create the next big uh, football player. It's just about trying to pr uh, produce the next best person. That's how I see it. Brilliant answer. I mean, it would almost be uh, such a good, good closing comment. But we've got one more, one more segment, Amza, and then we're done. Let's go. That's all right. The Sports Coaching Podcast with Sam Holmshaw. So, I mean, we always finish on on the Sports Coaching Podcast. We always say implications for coaches. Yeah. Um, so look. From your perspective, and listen, like I said, there's a lot of coaches just starting out that listen to this podcast. Mm. What are some of the lessons that you've learned? And then I know we've probably sort of dissected these a lot, but yeah. is there anything else that you've not mentioned that you thought about that is good advice for beginner coaches, you know, that might benefit from your three or four months experience now in the role? What do they need to know 
deciding they're going to be a coach or they've just started out or in a similar position to you, what would be your advice, I guess, from what you've learned so far? Uh, I'd say another thing that I haven't mentioned so far is look to copy other coaches. If you're seeing, if you're in a coach group of three or four, spend 10, 15 minutes a day after your session, just asking what went right in their session, look at their own reflections, look at how they would have done your session differently. Feedback is massive in coaching. You learn so much. And we were saying recently on our podcast, the, the amount of things you can learn just by learning 1% differences or trying to improve 1% more in coaching and developing and learning, self-learning as well. That's something that I would implore all young coaches to do. And I'm probably going to say this when all of these young coaches will be like, oh, yeah, I'll probably beat you to a job next time. Like, For goodness sake, they're all trying to get the same job as me. Um, but no, literally, that's what I would say. That's something that I wish I would take a bit more seriously, to be fair. I wish I would take an extra five, 10 minutes. What went well in your session? What went well in your session? How can you show me how to do that better as well? What can I learn from you? What can you learn from me? That type of thing. Probably coaches do that. I know they do that at, at higher levels as well. But that's something in my environment that I wish I could do a bit more of as well. It's just when you have that busy lifestyle of always having to go different places of all different times as well. It's one of them things that I'm just there like, oh, okay, there's so much to do and develop. So lots to learn, but you can learn from different people in different ways as well. And that's something that I've kind of seen in terms of one of my kind of common mistakes that I've had, Sam. That's what I'd say. No, uh, resonate a lot with that. Um... Yours must have been different as well, Sam, being being coaches with your brothers and your dad as well. So that must have been a different dynamic completely. Yeah, I mean, we, well, I don't want to speak for them, obviously, but I felt that we were the best in the world. Mm. I felt at 18, I was the best 18-year-old coach in the world. Um, and I used to find it really difficult to get feedback off people. If people would give me feedback, I would feel that I'd made a mistake. Mm. And then when I sort of, you know, got out of that sort of head mindset um i realized that feedback is so important you know like i can remember one of our lecturers at leeds becky uh, steve McEwen, he's called top top bloke mm. um he always speaks about you'll never know everything and you never stop learning and i remember finishing third year i know everything now about coaching i've, I've had three years you know i've explored a lot i know everything yeah. they go on a master's you don't and it's very important to uh, take as much opportunity for feedback for reflection as possible um you know i've recently done my master's degree done a lot of research into what is coach development what helps coaches develop and the sort of self-led aspect of gaining feedback um you know reflecting on your practice um you have to go through that to improve mm-hmm. um otherwise you'll find that you'll just sort of stop still you know that happened to me um i became very good hamza at like repeating the practices i were doing okay kept working if that makes sense so i did one session and then it was about oh so that's like my go-to session if i ever have an interview now how do i make that session better yeah i wasn't actually getting better as a coach i was just getting better at delivering that same session does that make sense Yeah, you're just a slight repetition, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To do the same thing again and again. And and I I know a lot of coaches that have fallen into that trap, and you want to put yourself in uncomfortable situations as a coach. So, like, you know, I remember 20, I went and started coaching 18 month babies to five. Mm. Incredibly uncomfortable. That is not, you know, 
I wouldn't do it now. But I did it for, I ended up doing it for two years and it taught me so much. Yeah. It opened up my mind a lot more about coaching. Um, you know, when I went and managed the women's team up in Leeds, uh, very uncomfortable. But I had to put myself out there to then develop and become a better coach. You know, I'm a lot better coach than I was two years ago when I first started that journey. So, um, yeah, I think agree with what you say there. Uh, and yeah, you're right. You know, you can look at influence of the coaches. Uh, again, I always felt that I was the best. Maybe it's just me. I, you know, I'm not an arrogant person as you know, but I, I maybe was in my head growing up, Hams. But um, no, I, th- I think you're fantastic. Influence. You, you've, you've got to take influence. And, mm. uh, you know, I mean, I've been on your podcast three times. I've learned stuff from you just listening to yourself. You know, oh, my days. That's, that's very and humbling. Say, and, and I think sometimes we kind of can be, and I know a lot of people that are like this of, oh, you know, Sam Elmshaw, he's got a podcast. He's managed in women's football. He's now, he's now in, uh, you know, an academy setting. So I'm going to listen to everything he says, but I'm not going to listen to uh, Dave, who's been coaching 30 years, because no one knows who Dave is. It, it doesn't matter who you are or hmm. go take advice, influence off everyone, because it will benefit you as a coach. Yeah. If you refuse, uh, if you refuse it, then it just shows that you're arrogant in the way as well. And you're just like, oh yeah, I don't want to listen to that. If you're in that growth mindset of, oh yeah, you know what? I could pick a thing or two from his brains. It'd be beneficial for me. Brilliant. You're learning, you're developing, you're moving forward. Best way to put it really, literally just moving forward whenever you're getting new information. Yeah, I really like that growth mindset. I think that was one of the, maybe the fifth episode I ever had on this podcast. Mm. I from uh, Scotland, uh, Bruce A. Aitchison, top bloke. And he, it's so true. Uh, I, I always had a very fixed mindset. As I said, I, I felt I kind of knew everything. Um, you, you, you've got to have a growth mindset. The sooner you have that mindset, the more you'll learn. Uh, but I mean, another point for me is just about volunteering. Uh, you know, we had this we had this discussion on your own podcast a, a week or two back. Mm. Um, I like sort of speak to a lot of young coaches now, and it's all about wanting to get paid. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I got paid in coaching until I was maybe 20. 20 hours. Um, I wasn't, I was on six pounds an hour. Um, I was still volunteering at 24 at Oakley Town. You know, you have to go and volunteer. Um, and I know a lot of coaches that have sort of missed out on experience because they didn't want to go and volunteer. Now, obviously, if it's an older coach who's got a family, that's a bit different. But if you're a young coach, and you've got time on your hands. If you're a student, um, don't make that mistake of thinking, I'm not going to do it unless they pay me. You have to yeah. get experience because, um, you know, Liam Stoneley, good, good pal of mine, good pal of yours. Um, you know, he, he came with us. He was my goalkeeper coach at Ilkley. Uh, he was driving two hours to get there two hours there two hours back wasn't getting paid um got some significant experience he learned from me i learned from him then he suddenly gets his opportunity in semi-professional football and he's he's flying and yeah. he, and he's only going to the top as well 100%. Yeah, you need those experiences but um yeah i mean that that's a that's a big one for me i don't know if there's any finishing points uh, any advice from yourself yeah, just like you said, in terms of volunteering as well, like even for me, for people to have a bit more context about me, I'm a, um, I'm a mature student as well. So I'm in my mid-20s, similar age to Sam as well. And I'm volunteering at the same time as well. I've got a family to look after. I've got a, a bills to pay, electricity to pay. If I have to spend a bit more money on fuel going to a volunteer session, then so be it. I spend money going to university. I spend money going to my social events, going to watch Man United, like I mentioned before as well. So it's just literally, even if it's just an hour of your day, that time that you get back, you'll get it back. 
next five, ten years, it doesn't matter how much money you spend on on the fuel that you're making, uh, that you're spending, basically, or the train tickets or the taxis, whatever it is you have to do to get there, just get there. Because literally, it'll be one of those things that you'll just see. You may not get paid, but if you're good enough, they may even want you to stay and they may end up um, paying for you as well. That happens with some coaches and some clubs as well because they want to keep the talent that they have and they value you because that's that's what it is in, in some businesses as well, which is brilliant. And that's something that I can I can recommend to a lot of coaches because we've said it before in my own podcast as well. Do you, do the work, go through the, the trials and the tribulations that you have to go through as well. And nine times out of 10, you'll be rewarded for it as well. And I genuinely, genuinely believe that as well. I genuinely believe there'll be a time when we'll be looking back at this episode, Sam, in years to come and be like, remember when we were both at this stage in our lives and we're just there like, yeah, that was, that was quite a while ago, but we worked damn hard for it. When you work damn hard for it, people do recognise, they really do recognise for it. Yeah, I agree. Hopefully it will uh, be on a FaceTime call in a very nice country on a balcony. Hopefully it will be in person, just there as well. <laughs> I'll be like your second yeah. assistant coach for like LA Galaxy or something like that. That'd be awesome. That'd be but brilliant. yeah, no, brilliant, Ams. Um, a fantastic episode. I, I've really liked what we've done today. Something a little bit different. The listeners will know that. Yeah. Um, but a, a lot of interesting thoughts, interesting points, you know, and, you know, it, it resonated a lot with me, your experiences, and I know it will resonate with a lot with the listeners today. So, I mean, thanks so much for your time. Um, yeah. I know this is going to go on your podcast a, a little later on in the year, but uh, again, you know, how can the listeners... Uh, find you what you're doing obviously uh, your podcast Friday Night Counter-Attack what's you know the best way I guess to uh, even contact you if you want to connect uh, how can we find you on social media yeah absolutely so I know you're posting this episode this week so I'll send you all my details my email address um, my Instagram our YouTube channel as well so those are probably the main three I would say we have a Twitter account but to be fair I'm only on there when I'm at like university so I don't use it on weekends I'm not really active on it um, it's great but if you find us on Instagram at Friday Night Counter-Attack if you find us on YouTube subscribe to us on Friday Night Counter-Attack your favourite streaming services Spotify, Apple, Amazon Google whatever it is subscribe to us on there as well um, hopefully like I said I'll be there in Sheffield and I'll be seeing the Kickabout Centre in person so that'd be fantastic as well um, and yeah that's kind of it really in terms of if you want to follow us because we're very big on social media but we're very big on listening to like what our listeners have to say our feedback is like one one of the bits we had of feedback was are oh, you're slacking on the the mental health conversation so we're like, okay cool so we just set up a brand new series on mental health completely so for people who came to listen in the first place to mental health conversation it's up a brand new series for them which is brilliant as well so um we really take our feedback seriously we listen to our listeners as well and the main thing is we we like talking to new people so like i said with sam previously as well we like talking to um, different people and learn from different people we're, we're about that growth mindset so main things instagram youtube twitter if you want and obviously your mainstreaming services where you're listening to your podcast um that's where you'll find me and you'll find the rest of us fantastic well just leaves me to say thanks so much for your time it's been fantastic to have you on my podcast mm. and i said i was looking to be what have you got in your hand uh, it's uh oh it's my mum's an illustrator she makes these uh little uh, clay things it's i'm a bit of a fidget to me you know. Brilliant. No, that looks cool. I thought um, it was like a piece of trailer or something. I used to have some play though. I used to have some play though. But, uh, but anyway, thanks so much for your time. No, uh, thanks cool. so much that's for the listeners, as, uh, as always. Uh, we really do appreciate you uh, listening. We recently reached the new milestone, 15,000 listeners, which was uh, just absolutely incredible. Like uh, I said to you previously, tactical genius right there. 
absolute genius in coaching. No, honestly, it, you've got a lot of listeners from a lot of countries, my friend. So I'm really yeah. happy for you. It really oh, works well for you. I appreciate that. And honestly, it amazes me, Hamza. Uh, like when I first started, I had no idea uh, what this podcast was going to be like, what the reception was going to be. Uh, and it's amazing. We get so many lovely messages every day. So again, thanks so much for the support. Uh, if you want to watch me and Hamza discuss in person and uh, look at me nodding a lot to what he's saying, as I normally do, you can uh, you can check out the YouTube channel, uh, but all on the website, samomshow.com forward slash podcast. But Hamza, thanks so much to you. Thanks so much to the listeners and we will see you all next week with a brand new episode. Take care. See you later. Thank you, everyone. Good evening. Good night and enjoy. Thank you.